When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. most famous events in Formula One history, narrated and commentated by Murray Walker in probably one of his most, uh, well, one of one of many great snippets of Murray Walker's commentary, Senna and Prost colliding at Suzuka, and, oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> I don't know how many commentators would say that generally about a crash, but uh, it wasn't a spectacular crash. They just came together and off they went. Murray Walker, that's part of the energy and um, and enthusiasm that he provided to his uh, to his broadcasts right across a great era. He passed away in the last 24 hours at the age of 97. A titan of commentary, a titan of Formula One. And with us on SEN this Sunday night to chat about it from Box of Neutrals podcast and the strategy report is Michael Laminato. Evening, Michael. How you doing? Look, I'm doing well. It's a sombre kind of day, but hearing the clip as you played just then, I know I'm feeling pretty much like every other Formula One fan is feeling. I've never heard of, never seen or met anyone who didn't feel the same way about Murray Walker's comedy, who doesn't feel the same stuff when they hear him commentate famous moments like that one. What kind of figure was, was Murray Walker to the sport of Formula One? In many respects, he was Formula One. There are certain characters in the history of the sport who kind of embody maybe not necessarily the entire sport but certainly certain aspects of it a lot of people might think of someone like bernie eccleston or particular drivers who defined eras but murray walker i mean he started commentating top tier motorsport before formula one even began as a championship and went right through up until he retired in the early 2000s and was still very much around the sport after that as well jumping into special projects and all sorts of things like that and for so much of the coverage of that era, he was just the commentator. He was syndicated across the English-speaking world. People, when they became familiar with Formula One, knew it through Murray and, of course, through his enthusiasm in particular, his notable, iconic commentary style. For so many people who may never have been able to get to a Formula One race seat only on the television, he was as much the sport as the sport was the drivers. You can't really underestimate, I think, the impact or the the legacy has on that era of the sport and as you said he started before formula one even came into being formula one compared to other sports is a relatively young sport i mean it's been around for about 
70 odd years, but it, you know, it began in the fifties when other sports have begun in, in the late 1800s. So comparatively um, it's a little younger. And, and I guess I, I know, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's probably the first formula one commentator that we know the first great formula one commentator that we've ever known. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are others that have come and gone and are seeking to make their mark. And his partnership, for example, with James Hunt in the co-commentary box meant that James certainly post his driving legacy being a world champion, but he developed this extra part of, of his legacy in Formula 1 as a result. Martin Brundle, of course, who continues to commentate to this day, started with Murray Walker. But you're absolutely right. I mean, that he was the... Formula One commentator. I don't want to necessarily overstep it because, you know, maybe in Spain or Italy or wherever they may have similarly iconic commentators. I'm not so sure. But certainly in the English language world, uh, this was Formula One's almost selected commentator, if you like. There's no one else who comes close to that notability. And the kind of commentary he provided, as we just spoke about, I mean, you know, as a commentator, it's always, you know, it's part of the part of the job description is you have to be enthusiastic and energetic, but he went above and beyond that, didn't he? He was, I mean, that's, that's part of his, part of his trademark commentary style is, is just how, how bubbly he was uh, on air. His style was described as pants on fire, which I don't think <laughs> is such a, a bad description for him. I really enjoyed going back and remembering some interviews uh, with Murray that he, even from you know way back in the 50s when the commentary game, okay, fundamentally similar, but was different to what we understand it to be now, understood that it wasn't simply a matter of being an expert in the field, as of course he was, did a lot of research and, and preparation for his roles, but it was also to entertain. I mean, fundamentally, if you're watching it on the TV, you're, you're seeing the pictures. The commentator's job is to kind of value add into that. And he understood that from the very beginning of his career. And as a result, that enthusiasm was his trading card. It wasn't simply that he was an expert in Formula One as he was. It was that he brought so much additional to the sport that meant that, I mean, we're here talking about him now. And, you know, it's very rare, I think, that we would be talking about a commentator like this in in other sports. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in so many other sports, but there are very few people across the sporting world I think we would talk about like this from from the media. It's funny because watching and, and listening back to his commentary, it's... As you said, you know, he's, he's entertaining, he's descriptive as well, which for TV commentary, you know, I, I, it's always told that in the brief, you have to be a little bit more uh, maybe reserved. You sort of sit back a little bit, let the pictures do the talking. Mm-hmm. But watching Murray Walker's broadcast, he does talk quite a lot, but I actually quite like it. And it adds a lot to the sport in in what is and what can be a very complicated sport. He maybe provides that that extra layer of entertainment in a, in a sometimes complex sport. And, and that style, it works well. Yeah, and I think you've really touched on it there is that motorsport in general, not only Formula One, is sometimes difficult to get across all of the action. If you compare it to football, you see where the ball's moving, the players, uh, the the hands of which players are passing it around and so on and so forth, and you you see the goals being scored. But in motorsport, sometimes the actual goings-on of a race are not always obvious when there's not the overtaking moment. The, The race progresses like a chess game almost across 90 minutes as it is today. And sometimes it's not obvious if you're new to the sport, what exactly is happening. And when it's not obvious, you don't realize that that can be exciting. It can be exciting to see a driver catch another when they're still quite far apart on the track, but you know, that's going to come together towards the end of the race. And he was really good at bringing it down to the level where anyone can understand formula one. And subsequently, of course, feel that same emotion that an expert would be feeling. He was, it was really his strength. 
in an era where I guess we always associate Murray Walker with this particular era from the clip I just played with, played with the Alan Prost and Etten Center and Nigel Mantle in the same era, Damon Hill as well. In that sort of era, how instrumental was Murray Walker in the growth of the sports profile when Bernie Eccleston t- took over and, and really made an effort in trying to grow the sport uh, around the world and, and it became the, the big behemoth that we know it to be now, Formula One. How important was Murray Walker's role in, in that? I mean, undoubtedly critical because that was the period, as you, as you touched on there, when Formula One went from being kind of a niche interest sport, if you like. And, and you know, when you have a niche interest sport, it tends to fall into those traps where it's kind of easy to, to not try and make it explainable or easy to understand to someone who might want to get into it. Formula One suddenly became a sport that, that everyone wanted to watch. You know, at a point in time, it was one of the biggest sports in Europe, a place normally so in love with football and certainly had its moments. Think places like Brazil as well, uh, where thanks to Aiden Centre, it became almost like a national sport for them. And having someone like Murray Walker immediately enthusiastic, not someone who... You know, it would be very easy to have had like a technical mind as a commentator, for example, or a former uh, driver or a former team or anything like that. It would be very easy to to take that route. But to have someone who was so clearly enthusiastic, and I think that sometimes underestimated how important enthusiasm is when you're trying to describe something to to a person because it's, it, it sort of immediately arrested your attention. If you, you're switching over and you hear Murray Walker with his pants on fire, to use that <laughs> phrase, it makes a massive difference. So it's, it's difficult while, of course, the business side of Formula One was important in growing the sport around the world as it did during that period. If it wasn't presented well, it would be very easy for the average person to pass it by. So his legacy in that regard is absolutely important. He was he was always remembered as well after he retired. So it, sometimes it feels like when a when a uh, a person of note, speed in sport or, or otherwise, when they mm-hmm. pass away, it kind of feels like well they only get remembered and all the adoration only comes out for them once they have passed away. And sometimes you know that's a natural thing. Of course, we don't we're not always thinking about these people at every moment of our own lives. But but Murray Walker was remembered and referred back to and was still involved in the sport after his you know I guess you could say his proper retirement. Up until the point of his passing, he was in that gap, in that large gap in between. He was always remembered and thought about in those spaces. And this is the really interesting thing. I was thinking about it this morning. Is that so? So he retired from full-time commentary in 2001, as you said. Sort of was still around, but certainly not in that full-time commentary sense. I was only 10 years old. Like I wasn't even watching Formula One at the time. But as a fan, and fans younger than me, certainly fans still coming through now still identify that voice with Formula One, whether that's because they've been searching highlights on YouTube or you're watching old races or whatever. But it's almost like through osmosis that, that, that he becomes part of your understanding of the modern Formula One. You're absolutely right. It's not simply that he has passed away and was iconic that we're talking about him. It's because he's passed away and up until yesterday, people still said, well, Murray Walker is Formula One. He's part of the game, despite the fact not commentating regularly anymore, only appearing occasionally in interviews. He was still so much key to the understanding of what Formula One is. And that's really special. I don't know that there are very many people in Formula One who carry that kind of clout. It's really interesting to me that that's the case, that his his identity has persisted for so long. And, I mean, it's obviously a great credit to the work he did in Formula One. And last one on Murray Walker. He, what other motorsports did he commentate? Because he was involved in other classes outside of Formula One, and I think had had spells in Australia as well. 
Yeah, I mean, he used to do some work with Channel 9 here, often around motorsport here in particular. Had be, he built relationships in the commentary world. He started off with motorcycle racing comedy. He started off as a motorcycle racer, in fact. His dad was what would be a MotoGP champion if that championship exists. Uh, he loves to tell that story, really idolised his father, followed in his footsteps. His father also commentated, believe it or not, after his own <laughs> motorcycling career. But he tried his hand at lots of things. One thing uh, I have been searching for but haven't found yet is that he commentated even some truck racing at one point, which I'd love to, <laughs> to see. There's even a clip of him having a go at snooker commentary on a TV show once. There are plenty of clips if you want to go and search for for stuff that is improved by Murray Walker's voice. And I don't think anything can't be improved by commentary like that. The Formula One season is not far away now, Michael. Uh, it's a couple of weeks away. Uh, Bahrain, we get started. Uh, in fact, two weeks from today is when we begin the Formula One season. Normally, this weekend is is Australian Grand Prix weekend, but that's been pushed back to, to late November now. Um, they're in Bahrain right now doing testing in the pre-season phase of this uh, 2021 F1 season. What's been happening in testing? What's the big headline coming out of the Middle East? Lots of sandstorms has been a real big part. Normally the idea of going to the Middle East for testing is that the weather will always be good, certainly better than, than winter in Spain when it occasionally does snow. But sand on the track on the first day made running a little bit strange. There was not a lot of grip on the surface. A bit more of a straightforward second day. Only three days of testing. Today is the third, much less than normal, which is putting a lot of pressure on the teams to make sure reliability is sorted. And one team that is not convincingly on top of that is Mercedes, strangely enough. Their first day, they undertook almost no running, principally thanks to a gearbox problem. Uh, and that gearbox problem, interestingly enough, is also cropping up now in other Mercedes uh, gearbox cars, including Sebastian Vettel's Aston Martin team. They're suffering similar problems now. And it's making you wonder, perhaps, if there are some reliability niggles still to be sorted. We'd only one day of testing left. And only, as you said, two weeks. It'll be less than two weeks after testing's finished before the first race. There's not a lot of time to fix these kinds of problems. So if you're, for example, Red Bull Racing, which has had a fairly clear couple of days and look relatively quick, you might be daring to believe this might be the year to get it done. But then again, we have had similar concerns about Mercedes in seasons past and they won them all. So let's not get ahead of ourselves either. I was going to say, this time last year, weren't we saying Mercedes were struggling in testing and Ferrari were looking great yeah. and then Mercedes just won <laughs> it anyway? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it, it is interesting. We've got one more day and if they can really smash out a good few laps today, and we're talking in the hundreds now, then that might allay fears a little bit. And they are clever. I mean, they've won all these championships for a reason. I'm sure that yeah. the problems will not be beyond them, but a little bit of intrigue. And the early read on Daniel Ricciardo in a, in a McLaren, really, for the, for the first proper time, him and his teammate Lando Norris this season, driving for McLaren. Uh, what, was, uh, what was the debrief, I suppose, from uh, Daniel Ricciardo's first couple of days? Some good optimism in McLaren this year. It's going to be really interesting because, of course, they finished third best of the midfield last year. They've got the Mercedes engine now as opposed to the Renault, so that should see them take a step up. But Ferrari is expected to improve this year, so that might then push them down to the battle of fourth. And then, of course, we've got the question of the sort of revitalised Aston Martin and Alpine, which was Renault last year. Yeah. But so far, McLaren seems sort of quietly confident, I think it's fair to say, at least that they've got their car together. They have to do a lot of work to make sure that engine change could be executed when the rules have been frozen to save costs this year. Uh, but so far, the partnership started well, but I mean, we're only going to really know when we get to Bahrain in a couple of weeks how accurate all these testing results will be. And the last one I'll ask you about, Michael, is uh, is about another, well, Michael or Mick, Mick Schumacher, the son of. Uh, he's at Haas 
uh, this season uh, alongside Nikita Mazepin, who had his own controversies in the preseason. But uh, Mick Schumacher in particular, um, uh, we've seen him in bits and pieces. He did a bit of uh, practicing uh, last year, I think, for Ferrari. But uh, is he looking the goods in the Haas car? So far, so good. But this is a massive caveat here is that the Haas car is likely to be the slowest this year. Maybe maybe with the Williams, but they didn't develop their car at all last year and are essentially fielding the same car this year. They're putting all of their money and resources into the change of rules next year. So that's good and bad, I think, because as we've seen Mick Schumacher in the junior categories, his first year in Formula 3 and Formula 2, we're a little bit off the pace. He really needed a season to sort of get his feet under the desk, if you like, really learn the series and how it works. And then subsequently, in his second season, he won the championship in both of them. So the idea of having a year at the back of the grid with a car that at least the team understands, having run in for, a, for an entire season already, might be exactly what he needs. Be out of the spotlight a little bit as much as you can be with a name like Schumacher, away from the difficulties of the really tight midfield. Just learn how the tyres work, how the, the aero works, how the Haas team operates. And then next year, if that car can move back up the grid, and don't forget Haas only a couple of years ago were regular point scorers at times even trying to compete for podiums. If they can resume that next year, then he'll be in a really great place. So an interesting season on the cards for him, I think. And he'll certainly be one to watch, but it'll be towards the back. Michael, thank you so much for uh, for uh, joining us on SCN, chatting about uh, pre-season and, uh, and remembering Murray Walker with us. Thank you, mate. Thank you, mate. Anytime. Michael Laminato with us here on SEN this Sunday night. You can uh, listen to his stuff on the Box of Neutrals uh, podcast and also uh, his other podcast, Strategy Report, and website as well. Just give him a follow at Michael Laminato on, uh, on Twitter and that'll direct you to all the right places. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.